So uh, I was on, um, I believe, what you call holiday last week, and I realized you didn't do an episode without me because you realized you couldn't, is my conclusion from that. Uh, how, how much feedback did you get about not having Envoy Recorded Radio out last week? Literally nobody noticed. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, I'm Ace Colwood. And I'm Scott Wayne. And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. All right, Monday, first Monday of Daylight Savings Time. Have we outlawed that yet? No, let's not even talk about okay. it. We yeah. talk about it every Perfect. year, nothing changes. Uh, so this week's sponsor is? This week's sponsor is uh, Alex Pryor. Do you know who Alex Pryor Alex is? Alex Pryor is Do you the recognize sponsor? that name? Yes, I do. You recognize that name. Alex Pryor is our resident filmmaker on the uh, Rogue Media team and has survived or, I don't know, done one year's hard time with Envoy, and I, I think that deserves a shout-out. He is uh, the fellow Brit on the team where all Americans say, oh, so you two have a lot in common, and we have to explain that we're from opposite ends of the country, and we have nothing in common. So you grew up like ha- a half an hour from each happy other? An- so. Happy anniversary, Alex. There you go, Alex. My favorite, my favorite farm boy. Hey, we're glad you're here, buddy. All right. Okay, uh, let's, come on to some, let's come on to some reverse innovations. I want to start Ooh. with reverse innovations this week. So these are innovations that if we had started with the latest thing, uh, we would think the old thing was good. Yeah. Uh, matchbooks, matchboxes. I bought some matches at the store yesterday because those stupid plastic things that yeah. you fill with gas mm-hmm. with a pointy use enormous resources, always run out very quickly. They're very expensive. And there's, there's this renewable thing called a matchstick yeah. that comes from wood, burns, turns into carbon um, composts. I believe that if we'd invented matches after lighters, we would think they were the most incredible innovation. Do you really? Yeah. You you think if we had started with lighters yeah. and gone to matchboxes or matchbooks, we'd be using matchbooks you more remove regularly? All of the plastic you remove, they they are renewable, they're disposable, they're lighter, they take up less space. Okay. Let me let me pose uh Zippo as an innovation. Do we, do we think where does Zippo like uh the metal thing that well, you don't have to replace. Zippo is an innovation. To... It was invented in like 1941. I'm not throwing it, it like out as an innovation. As I'm GIs. saying we went from matches to Zippo. And the point that you just made is that uh, the lighters don't work because plastic and they're not sustainable. Does a Zippo solve for that problem in the same way? I'm curious. Yeah, it probably does. Okay. All right. I mean, but but similarly, we had Zippos and we went to disposable lighters. We went to disposable and, uh, lighters. So I'm disagreeing and agreeing so with you. So the principle of this time. is is the this idea of innovation being new yeah. rather than actual innovation. Yep. And so we're going to call one out every week. Mine's like Matchbooks and, and Zippos. And Zippos. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm on board. All right. I'm on board. I want to okay. disagree. Uh, look, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Silicon Valley Bank, but what I will comment on okay. is that it, it does illustrate the ruthlessness and aggression of the tech sector on the West Coast that essentially ate its young last yeah. week yeah. Um, by a run on a bank that could happen. It's understandable how it happens, but wasn't necessary. And one thing I, I've, I was thinking of last week was if this was the main banker to the transportation industry mm-hmm. or the energy industry, would we have seen the equivalent of Peter Thiel? You know, if Peter Thiel, is there a Peter Thiel character at Chevron Oil or right. Shell or at uh, Lufthansa or Cathay Pacific that would have said, hey, let's get our money out before everybody before else Before it's a thing, right. Or would the finance directors and CFOs of this industry called each other and said, hey, 
let's do a let's do a handshake agreement, keep the money in. The shareholders are going to lose, but let's keep liquidity, call the government and resolve this thing. Yeah. So it's not how it's played out. I understand the dynamics of it. It was just a reminder to me that the tech sector really is at the forefront of uh, of competitive economics. Yes, and I, the, a lot of the commentary I've seen is that the tech community did this to itself. I'm not sure I believe, and this is coming from the tech world, that there is a tech community, right? Like, it's in, not in the macro, right? By region, by, you know, small, knit startup ecosystem, as we call them, sure. But as far as my job is to make more money than I put into your company, yeah, VCs are going to protect their money at all costs and not intelligently so to the rest of the world, but they will make sure that they maintain liquidity in a way that Silicon, Bank, Silicon Valley Bank was not allowing them to do, um, given the circumstances. So, yeah, it will be I was interesting not surprised. Over the next couple of days to see if the, if the uh, commentarati mm-hmm. can distinguish between saving the reserves for the depositors of the bank, so a government intervention to do that, mm-hmm. versus protecting shareholders. Because this is not a bailout of shareholders, it yeah. is a bailout of the deposits yep. of people. Which I think, I, think, I actually think that that joint statement, which you posted in our, our link here, by the Treasury, Federal Reserve, and FDIC, is just very, it's very yeah. simple. We are protecting depositors, that money will be available on Monday morning, yep. but there's no protection of shareholders. No, yep. no that, nor should there be, I, I don't think, not in this instance. In any other sector, if a CEO of a company tanks a company by not looking at risk and managing appropriately, yeah, shareholders' value goes to zero. I mean, so his fiduciary responsibility was not fulfilled, but it's not the government's job to bail that out. It's the government's job to protect our deposits as banking charters and our now, one, infrastructure. One last thing is, yeah. as, as I was you know, battering the tech sector, um, I think we are about to discover over the next uh, couple of weeks, probably by some FT and Wall Street Journal reporting of just uh, just how encouraging the large East Coast banks were in um, encouraging that run and stealing those relationships. I, I, I think we'll see. And then in the UK, HSBC over the weekend just very quietly bought um, Silicon Valley Bank UK for a pound. Yeah. 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 And, and we're going to see some of the upstarts. Mercury comes to mind as kind of the... Uh, what started as the competitor to Silicon Valley Bank in a lot of respects. I think they've picked up quite a, quite a number of deposits as well. So we're seeing some of the winners and losers in the short term. Um, I'm curious to see what big FIs pick up All right, those customers. Okay, let's pick up a couple of things from our list. Um, I'm going to go with air fryers, and I'm just going to put this to bed. <laughs> air fryers is on this list for us to talk about. Air fryers are not a thing. Air fryers are conventional ovens. Ovens no. with a fan that we have had for a very long time, made small and given a new name. They also don't fry. <laughs> it is brilliant and it's not a thing. And if you want to buy a small convection oven for your countertop, you go for it. It's great. Just please, please don't talk to me about what it is. I, look, there are a number of things I'll argue with you on. This is not one of them. I agree with you, and I hate that we use new names for old things and pretend that they're innovative. And then we'll come to contemporary things in a moment. But I, I was in London last week, and I was staying with my friend Angela, and Angela made this comment, which I thought was great, uh, which I'm going to put – we were just on a call with GBTA this morning. I'm going to put to our friends in the aviation industry okay. is – talk about reverse innovation. Why do we charge for you to – put a bag in the hold of a plane why don't why isn't it free to put it in the hold and we charge for you to take it on board into the cabin hmm 
but I, I don't have an answer. Is anybody listening to this? I want to answer this question. We, so why 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 aren't we paying as as consumers? Yeah. Why aren't we paying to put our carry-ons on the plane in the cabin? Yeah. Rather than down in the hole. So everybody every the the loading of a plane is horrific, sure. yeah. mainly because people are fighting to get their bags on the plane. Yep. Which some of it is people like us that don't want to put our bags in the hold. Yeah. Others are people who don't want to pay the. F- $35 fee to do that. Yeah. Why don't we reverse that and you have to pay to put the bags in the cabin? And it seems like that would align incentives. It, it feels like it would. And I would probably still pay. And I, I don't stand, I, I can't stand checking a bag. I won't do it. Um, yeah, I would, I would pay to have my bag with me. Let's. So I think there's an economics answer to this. Somebody inside the airline industry, will you give us the answer? We'll have you on, and you can explain why oh, we do this. Uh, but I'm going to try two questions with you. Okay. Let's let's look at uh, where the strength of your values and and how you've spent time reflecting. Ace, oh, do you believe there is a God? Yes. Oh, that was pretty clear. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I believe there is a God. I don't know who's right. Um, as far as which God, I'd imagine they're all very similar. Um, But yeah, no. Oh, I mishit there. I thought you were going to say, I don't know. And then I was going to say, do you you believe in checking bags? (laughs) Uh, You you asked if I believe there's a God. Yeah. Do I know? Absolutely not. No, I don't know if there's a God. Do I believe in checking bags? Yeah. Do I know that I'm going to check my bag also? Yeah. I'm always going to, or rather not check my bag. I'm always going to keep my bag with me. Yeah. No, I don't believe in checking bags. No. No, I don't. All right. Uh, let's come on to football, real football. So um, if, if anybody's been tracking the UK news or actually any news around football, otherwise known as soccer, Gary Lineker has got wait, to... Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Hang tight. Yeah. Because I was out last week and yeah. I was offline. Yeah. I, I was off. I turned my notifications for Wicker off. Like, I've had lots of people text yeah. me asking if you're okay. Yeah, no, I, I was dead to the world. Um, you could say anything for this Envoy Recorded Radio episode as oh, things that happened in the world. The I don't know. I, I, no, I don't know. True. So tell me about this football thing. You might have just made it up. No, 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 no. But This changes the trajectory of this episode. You can just screw with me the whole time. No. Well, I mean, I think then we should talk about George W. Bush taking over the ACLU. Yeah, let's talk about it. Because if you weren't aware of that. <laughs> you could say anything if you kept your face straight. Uh, yeah. So what's been going on in the UK okay. is that um, the, the government introduced a a raft of essentially anti-immigration policy that is is pretty draconian by European standards, uh, but probably by any standards. And the government has admitted it may breach the European Convention on Human Rights, the, the laws. Okay, Gary Lineker, who is a very famous international football player, yep. um, uh, tweeted that he thought this was the language was re- reminiscent of 1930s Germany. And he's been sort of clobbered by the government and then was taken off air by the BBC. He is the host of the main And he just comes day, in football. Is, yeah, he's, yeah. He's the, he hosts the, the, the UK equivalent of sports night. Yeah, right, match of the yeah. day, right. Um, so he was taken off air and then pretty much every other BBC sports commentator refused to work. Ah. <laughs> so on match of the day, which should be a couple of hours of highlights of football on a Saturday night showed 20 minutes of football with no commentary. 
<laughs> and it is it's sort of a lesson i guess which is don't pick a fight with a don't pick a fight with a footballer who was a world cup hero to all of us who were kids at the time of the 1980s of of that endless hope that england might not be rubbish in a world cup who has i don't know 10 million followers on Twitter mm-hmm. and is stupidly rich and doesn't need the BBC's money. I, and, and he's got a team, too. I'd imagine some of this is... Uh, Alistair Campbell. Yeah, is, yeah. So, uh, so he also comes, has yeah. a podcasting um, yeah. uh, business and the, the most successful podcasts in the UK are all under his banner. And so, including uh, Tony Blair's former chief of communications who was just out batting with a big cricket bat metaphorically Jeez. over the weekend. Anyway, the the BBC caved this morning. He's back on TV and they're reviewing their social media guidelines. But what it said, it was quite interesting. Mm. It's, it's about this, and I think it has a relationship to corporates who are okay. talking about sort of speaking with one voice. So the BBC guidelines generally said that uh, you have to retain impartiality. And there's a big fight about how impartial the BBC is in various government appointments. But setting aside all of that is the discussion of whether whether in a in a Twitter environment or any sort of online environment, you can actually control what employees say or executives say. And so the argument is if you're a newsreader, you absolutely shouldn't comment on anything in the public domain. It's mm-hmm. understandable. Mm-hmm. If you're a football commentator, does that apply? If you're, a, if you're a chef, if you're in the employee of a national broadcaster, or it could be the New York Times, the yeah. Washington Post, where does that go? Um, it's that idea of staying in one's lane. And... Right. Um, I think it's fascinating how and where we decide what lane belongs to who. And like for me, are we humans first or are we professionals first? And if we are commentators professionally in a professional realm, ought we stay in our field of expertise? Or are we allowed to talk about human rights violations, for instance, or the world or uh, marriage equality, et cetera, as humans who have a vested interest in the world being more equitable? And like, where is the, I I don't have an answer, but on our side of the pond, we saw Colin Kaepernick run into this, right? Just play football. Uh, Rather than have some social commentary, we see performers and entertainers running into the same thing. And how do we separate humanity from professionalism? Should we? And if we do, where are the guidelines? Because it's it's uh, it's anybody's game. Right and not now. as brutal as Copernic. Just to be clear, like the, the everybody wasn't on Lennox's side on this. There were right. there was a significant minority, a minority but significant, saying, "Hey, know your place. Like talk yeah. about football. Right. So this is not your place to talk about." It. And of course, it's not. The, and let's just be clear: the Gary Lineker was not uh, experiencing the suppression of his right sure. to speak. He was sure. experiencing the suppression of his right to present <laughs> football yeah. on the BBC. So let's put this in context. But it, it was an interesting. Uh, it was an interesting uh, power dynamic yeah. uh, as we go through. Um, okay. Where should we go next? We've got an etiquette. Okay. Should we go to etiquette? So our etiquette section. So our weekly etiquette section, which is, hey, for the love of God, do or don't do this. Yeah. 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 Uh, Bring versus take is the one that I'm going to go with. Bring versus take. They are two very simple words that I find that we use very poorly societally. Um, So bring, the word bring is, is for movement toward the speaker. Hey, Perry, when you come over from the office to the podcast suite, can you bring the new microphone? That makes sense. I wouldn't say, hey, Perry, when you come from the office to the podcast suite where I am, can you take the microphone so to me. me? Right, correct. So bring it to me. So I would say, Ace, bring me praise. Correct. Well, you wouldn't say that, and I wouldn't do it. But okay. it, conceptually, just... bring me praise, right? Rather than take, which would be movement in any other direction. Oh, so, so you away take it from away. The speaker. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, bring this to your sister. 
which you might say to one of your daughters, right? Hey, Kate, bring this to Coco when you go over there would be incorrect. It would be take it to Coco. Take you take Coco. the thing okay. from here yeah. to there. You bring it from there to here. But I hear people use the word bring often, all the time. Yeah, I'm going to bring it when I go to my mom's house in London. All right, I'm going to bring this to her. No, you're not. You're going to take it to her. You're going from here with the object. You're taking it to a new place. It's one of those little things. So this is grammar etiquette. It is grammar etiquette. I'm channeling my inner Scotty right now. Scotty is a shout out. Uh, yeah, bring versus take. There we go. Got it. Bring to us, take away from us. Well, do you know where you could be Googling this? Is uh, You could be Googling it from a co-working space in a brewery because as part of my ongoing skepticism around work from home, particularly in the United Kingdom, uh, where I believe we have a, a larger work-shy <laughs> quotient oh than in the United States. Um, I did observe this. We'll put it on the, on the newsletter. Um, a brewery in, in Waterloo. Again, we were roaming around London last week, and Angela sent this to me as well, which is co-working quiet pods in the Brew Dog Brewery in Waterloo in London. Literally dedicated co-working space in the pub. Oh, right, quiet pods at that. Quiet pods. This is a, a <laughs> Inside Voices library-esque brewery, yeah. but probably overpriced beer. I need to look this place up and see how many pounds for You might have to go for a research trip. Yeah, yeah. No. literally the sign shows, um, I love this, ice cream van. You know what an ice cream van is. It's a truck of Mr. Whippy parks outside does it play music yeah yeah, yeah. okay of course yeah. ice cream it's truck is what a, we call it just to consider that your employees might be working here a photo booth and workspace and quiet pods in that in that but the last one on this sign is lost property office because clearly you get hammered and you leave your work leave laptop, your laptop and confidential yeah. papers in your work pod i just love this no so the ongoing where are we going to work and where can it be more fun continues apace I hey, hate, on that I note, did you did you read the timeline. did you read the um, chat GPT that because back to we should yeah. have a whole work shy section because wow. people are trying to have chat GPT do their job that they are uploading all kinds of pro- proprietary and confidential corporate information up to chat GPT because no. they want them to write their reports so this no. is like a <laughs> Come industrial on. espionage dream. Okay, can we can we stay on work for a second? Yeah, can we let's Sorry about it. let's talk about no this this is let's talk about quiet quitting and just the oh, quiet. Oh yeah, what's yeah. that? I don't understand that. Oh, it's <laughs> quiet quitting, quiet promotions, um, rage applying is the new thing that I've come across. <laughs> Rage Perry's applying? just laughing right rage now. Applying. Rage applying. Yeah. Perry's like, that's how I got this so, job. So your just... boss ticks you off and you you spitefully apply to a bunch of other jobs <laughs> in protest to see if you maybe land Ideally from one. the co-working <laughs> space in the pub. In the, you in drown the pub. your sorrows yeah, yeah. and put it on your corporate expense. And have fund. chat GPT write your cover letter <laughs> at that. It's, no, it, it, it's... It's a whole thing. But yeah, quiet quitting is this idea that um, instead of leaving one's job because of uh, discontentment, if you will, you stay and just minimize work to the bare minimum, effectively quitting without actually quitting. So oh, so you just don't work. Yeah, right, yeah. right, yeah. Okay. But it's called no quiet work. quitting because okay. we love calling okay. old things new yeah. shiny things. So yeah. quiet quitting sexy right now. Uh, or quiet promotion where you get loaded with more work but you haven't actually yeah. been compensated for it. Um, yeah, so my, my take is it's not actually a thing. You're just being passive and letting life happen to you. Um, 
So just commit to quitting. Don't don't do it quietly. Or commit to saying, "Hey, I'm only going to do the work uh, as I don't know, dictated by my job requirements." And if you want more than that, I should have a promotion and more compensation. Like, let's just commit to the thing instead of I don't know, fading into obscurity. That's that's my thing. Right so now. we gave it a name. We yeah for just. Not just, working, just not but being paid, or or working the bare minimum, which I think yeah. is like doing one's job. Um, but this idea, and so I, I think there's both sides, right? There's the employee side of yeah. nah, they want me to do my job, I don't want to do it, so yeah. I'm going to do less. And then there's the employer side of nah, I can get this person to probably take on the lift from the person who just actually quit without giving them a promotion yeah. or more compensation. And I think we've got to recalibrate. I, oh, let's just stay here because I've I have avoided writing about this for so long. <laughs> The, this whole so a couple of things around work from home because I, I see this fight particularly on LinkedIn is like happening as companies are pulling people back in yeah and I completely understand the quality of life and I absolutely understand as a parent with somebody who has a fairly stable home and private workspace how appealing it is to work from home yeah. right just on the logistics side of things but to quote a, a favorite adjunct professor of mine Professor Colwood who teaches entrepreneurship and is very passionate about solving for the right problem Lord. I feel I really feel that this work from home debate is solving is trying to solve the wrong problem. Is that we are saying that work from home is great versus saying actually we have a complete absence of childcare structure, particularly mm-hmm. in the United States. Therefore, work from home works for me. Uh, commutes are horrific and car based. Therefore, work from home works for me. Um, but I, I don't feel that I feel disconnected from my spouse. Therefore, work from home works for me. I can't find a, a quiet space to work, therefore work from home for me. But I don't think fundamentally people are saying, I want to wa- wake up in my private residence and be on a digital chain mm. to my employment. So you're saying the conversation right now is work from home is great. Yeah. And that's not actually what we could or maybe should be saying. We should say work from home solves some very acute problems in society and it's not optimal, but let's put words to the things that it's actually solving for and see if we might find yeah, some solutions to Particularly those. because okay. I, f- I find the demographic that is that is really fighting for work from home and really wants it is also that demographic who believes in cities, believes in urban centers, mm. believes in community bakeries and coffee shops and connection. And of yeah. course, all of those things go to gathering places because if we yeah. cont- if we Look, approximately 60% of jobs can technically be done from be work done, from home. Right, and there are some that so ought to be. So let's just be respectful yeah. to people who work in shops, delivery drivers, lorry drivers, firefighters, nurses, sure. everybody else that can't. But within that context, the if, if we were to continue this trend, all we would do is to continue to build out exurbs because you mm. are increasingly going to build – uh, homes that have office space that it doesn't matter about the distance of commute. So we're, we're going to fill Colorado, we're going to fill Arizona with mm. these massive exurbs because they're designed for work from home, yeah. for which you will then get the classic private equity-owned um, chain of chilies and what's the bougie burger Cheesecake place? Factory. And, like, all of that. And, we just yeah, replicate yeah, yeah. all of those things. Now, setting aside the fact of how much that depresses me, <laughs> I don't think that's also what this demographic demographic of people want and so i just i'd love us to start talking about instead god the way we've designed offices has been really terrible the way we've designed the work week has been really terrible Mm -hmm. the way we have um designed the fact that offices don't actually engage with local caterers and local businesses and um or do we all need to gather in the same office at the same time there's lots of questions that for me are far more than the binary back in the office or work from home yeah the the can I just clarify, have you come around to four-day work week? 
Is that is that what you meant by work <laughs> no, weeks? No, I haven't actually. Okay, all right. Um, I was just checking. I, I'll tell you what I have come around to though. So I haven't come around to the four day work week, partly around an equity thing. Okay, which is, I do actually believe, if if I weren't um, a director of this firm, if I yeah. just did my job, yeah. I could do my job in four days. I could okay. work ten hour days and sure. knock it out, which isn't. Actually, I could work nine-hour days and knock it out. Yeah. I, um, and that's very appealing. I do think that it is, from an equity perspective, very hard because there are other jobs. Mm-hmm. Perry couldn't do his job in a four-hour, four-day four work week. Okay. Because you can't, you, you can't edit. Yours and my job is a lot of inter- intellectual processing mm-hmm. that is not time-dependent related to a machine. Sure. Perry is a media editor. You can't actually film somebody faster. You mm-hmm. can't travel on site faster. Mm-hmm. You can't watch that video again faster. Well, you can, but yeah, it's, not the, it's not, not the same. Not the same. Yeah. And so we'd end up if we did it within our portfolio, we ended up in a two-tier system where you and I would work a four-four-day work week, sure. and Perry and Alex wouldn't. Now, look, I think Perry should work a four day work week and Alex should work six that would be fair but we're, we're not happy anniversary now Alex. you're welcome Perry <laughs> yeah happy I brought to his sponsor Alex. no um, but, but he's the, British I'm allowed to say but let me let me stick with that yeah. because it interestingly enough the work from home versus not is different for those two contingents as well I'd imagine while Perry can't edit faster he could edit from the comfort of his couch if he wanted to he absolutely right? could whereas for you and I on the road with clients in person etc doesn't necessarily allow for being remote a thousand percent of the time it just doesn't work so the jobs shift and uh, I my, part of my issue with both of these conversations the how long we work and where we work is this holistic conversation society ought to do X and that's not how the nuance and variance between jobs uh, allows for right and so uh, we're having this conversation as a monolithic work culture that isn't appropriate there there is nuance between how we work and where we work and that perhaps um i'm gonna try to say this without going after simon sinek and who's the other guy who just does memes all the time no comment yeah i'll think of his name in a minute the the vaynerchuk no no well him as well (laughs) well there's another one mine simon sinek is yours okay Um, he's an hr yeah whatever i'll come back to it um so but I, I do think there's a conversation to be had, but maybe the splits aren't right. So I do think there's a discussion to have between um, work-life balance and work-life integration. Yeah. Between, you've just come from a digital diet. You've been yep. experiencing some of this. That what, what does that look like? It's almost like they do it in medicine well. You are an on-call emergency physician mm-hmm. or you are a GP. Mm-hmm. Right, and you can you can build schedules accordingly. You could do a four day week as a as a GP. Um, oh wait, wait. There's a theory for this. Is that uh, is that really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> kind of. I'll I'll pull a piece of uh, um, kind of HR and organizational behavior theory, and and just the concept of integrators and segmenters. And some people are wired oh, yeah, yeah. to segment the way that they work. My my partner, for instance, if she logs on at nine, she logs out at five. Yeah. But her students are confined to to that time period. And if she logs in at nine fifteen, she stays until five fifteen right. on her machine. It is bizarre to me. Yeah. I've never understood working that That's way. All of my family. It's shift work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and like that is right and <clears throat> works for some people in their specific jobs with their specific tasks. I've never functioned that way. And so I had a uh, I had a 
when I worked in academia, my department chair, um, effectively, he said it more diplomatically, but asked why he pays me. He's like, what do I pay you for? Because I was running a tech company that was doing very well Stinson at the time. That every single time she runs payroll. That's a fair question yeah. when she asked it too. Um, no, he like I was running a tech company and I was the entrepreneur in residence at the School of Business. And so I was teaching and I was uh, part sharing the work that I was doing on the tech company in real time, making decisions with the students. And then I'd oh, fill yeah. them in on Thursday, right? It was, this, it was the experience I wanted in an entrepreneurship program. Um, and he could not wrap his head around why he was paying me to go talk about coffitivity at the time, the company I was running on stage, why I was on the clock uh, doing that. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, no, because that's an important experience to bring real time in outside of this professor of academia. I was a professor of practice and I have to be practicing in order to do my <laughs> job well. Yeah. And so you were paying for my experience as a CEO as much as my experience as an academician. And and that he could not wrap his head around because he's a segmenter. And I was like, this is all integrated uh, for me. All, I'm working all 18 hours today. <laughs> Eight of it will be for you. But if one of those hours is for me while I'm on your premise, I don't care, man. And that was, but that's integration versus segmentation. And I think so it's if fascinating. You, if you said that, so if on, if on a company's website you said this role is a integrated versus segmented yeah. role but also I think you can do it culturally too which is we so instead of like we believe I'm trying to think of these corporate value statements that I despise I mm. despise them generally not specific ones but sure. sort of we act with integrity okay yeah. great sure it's important um, <laughs> sure. just dismissed all of that didn't I Fair enough. yes of course it's important but maybe what's more helpful is if you say actually we're a, we're a firm that believes that um isolation is not healthy for our employees. Therefore, we encourage people to come into the office on a very regular basis. Or we believe that the nature of our work is uh, conducive to um, brief by osmosis, right? right. And your yeah. ability to overhear the conversation I'm having actually better informs your ability to or support the a client. Right. right. We believe our work is conducive to uh, a lot of singular focus, dedicated time, and therefore the philosophy we have about the work that right. we do is X, Y, and Z. Yep. And you sort of match on... And then your job sites would be uh, sort of the nature of how you work integrated with what the firm needs mm -hmm. that would so deal with a lot of this conflict because a lot of the conflict we're seeing in organizations is not actually about business stuff. Right. It's about ways of working. Yeah. Um, and, and the repercussions therein are that we end up using the wrong tool to solve a problem that we've created. So, hey, we're working from home. Now I'm inundated by Zoom meetings because we are not getting the water cooler conversation or the drive-by or the open door or the I just got a quick hallway brief. So I have to have four more Zoom meetings and I'm actually making my time less effective because we're at home. We're not solving the right problem. Right. We're not we don't have the stand up in the morning. So we hop on a call that takes 40 minutes longer because people can't connect via technology. Whereas I used to have a 15 minute stand up where we stood around a desk. We briefed on the day we went to work. Right? Like we so we can shift the nature of where and how we work. We have to have the tools and the structures and the frameworks appropriate to support that. And I think we went home. We were forced home. Yeah. We didn't design the structure appropriately to do it well. And I think that's a lot of what I'm feeling or seeing in organizations we work with for what it's worth. So we have no answers. We're just telling people to change the questions. Yes. You'd think we were consultants or something. Almost. Uh, right. Hey, uh, we, had, we did have, in spite of the fact that nobody noticed we weren't on air <laughs> last week, we did, actually that's not true. One or two people noticed. They, um, 
we did have some feedback about your tipping piece a couple oh, of weeks later. Am I in trouble? No, okay. no, there was some great commentary actually. Um, I'm laughing, I'm laughing at once because uh, I I did make a note of Amy Ryan's commentary, oh, and then Ryan hey, Mouter messages us from Vermont, and I just wrote tipping, and I can't remember what he said. <laughs> And I can't find his note now. Ryan, but anyway, I appreciate your so, commentary. So let's go to Amy Ryan. And okay. Amy points out that the we now, in a lot of cases, tip before we receive the service. Right. Which, if therefore the service, you're sort of estimating what the service is likely going to be, tip. Mm-hmm. And then you're more likely to be disappointed and not go back because you paid more than you felt it was worth. So mm-hmm. it may not be in the store's interests to have you do that transaction. So I, I saw in this related I saw this weekend I went to um went to one of my favorite spots in Churchill and was picking up a bite to eat and they um they asked the gentleman who was in front of me if he'd like to leave a tip because they still have the like COVID era window between their computer and oh, yeah. the patron and so you can't select your own tip and so I saw. <laughs> I thought it was funny. It was probably awkward for the guy um, because it was 15, 20, and 25% were the options. And the guy behind the window, the the owner, turns the thing around and he's like, would you like to leave a tip? And it's just a grab-and-go spot, right? <laughs> so you have to decide if you're going to leave a tip anyway. And he asks the guy if he'd like to leave a tip, and he points out the options. And the guy had to look the owner in the windows of his soul, right in his eyeballs, and say, yeah, 15%. Like, he had to pick the lowest of the three and articulate that that's oh. what he wanted to select. And it was, it was just... It, it, it was cringy to watch. It, it was hard. It, it's the way that we, uh, we talk smack when we're in a car. Right when when we're yeah. driving, we get road rage and we flip people off and like people do. I don't, um, but we get really upset and we say horrific things to people that we wouldn't say standing next to them in an elevator. There's a comedian who had right. a bit like that. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't, and so this tipping phenomenon, like we got to leave cash and then walk walk out. away. And we never had to there acknowledge was a, there was how a gap. much you didn't or have how to little. look the person in the eye as you gave them their rating. It's hard, man. Yeah. It's 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 rough. And so I I don't think we have sorted any of those things. Anyway, so Amy Ryan's comment about you have to tip before the service is defeats the purpose of a tip. <laughs> the tip is for service. I thought. There are so many people. We I, I received so many comments about it. And I, I'm getting messages from people when they were halfway through your rant saying, I'm listening to the rant and I agree with them. I haven't even finished listening to it yet. This is a whole universe. Um, I did notice. Uh-huh. I did notice when I was back in the UK where, of course, you don't tip for anything. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, the service is actually, even though it's grumpier, yeah. way, gr- way grumpier, is faster because there isn't that whole buildup. I'm not working these folks. Nobody's saying like, hey, how are you? How's your day? Because you're not working for the tip. It's just like, what do you want? I want a cup of coffee. There it is. Like, you're done. Okay. Uh, Let's do a couple more things then let people get back to their days. Ryan Mata, I can't remember what you wrote. I think it was about a bakery in Vermont that was paying people fair wage. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It it was Bernie Sanders territory. Yeah. Um, But we did see, actually, uh, we're seeing more of that. And one other thing, mm. this controversy about only accepting digital payments, I yeah. think is very interesting, has become an issue here that is not in Europe. Yeah. Of So tell me through this a little bit, that people are upset if you won't accept, if a place doesn't accept cash. Yeah. So they're, they're, we're seeing more and more places like this pop up. Uh, 
grab-and-go counters, cafes, et cetera, that digital payment only. So you've got a card, tap, uh, Apple Pay, what have you. You can get your goods and carry on your way, but they don't have a till. There's no cash register to keep cash and make change, et cetera. Um, so the, what I'm finding most often is a very specific demographic. It's older white men. Is I'm just going to put words, anecdotally at least, to who I have seen get up in arms about it, either in person or as I've talked to clients yeah. who are kind of navigating uh, those decisions. It's older white gentlemen who are really mad that they can't pull out their billfold and <laughs> and pay you know, with a $50 bill. Because who carries cash and who has 50s? Um, that demographic, I think. But yeah, the, it's it's... But their argument is not, this is inconvenient for me. Their argument is, oh, you're going to be excluding someone who only functions in cash. And they're often talking about lower socioeconomic, poor folks who probably aren't patronizing the same types of <laughs> places. Like, let's read the room, you know your for. demo. Yeah. But, and, and so what I found is that some of these some of these places that are only accepting cash generally have an option to just give the good away, right? A cup of coffee, the sandwich, whatever, to somebody who truly needs right. it and doesn't have a financial vehicle by which to compensate the 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 business. Um, and so, yeah, people are up in arms that, hey, you're going to be leaving a segment of our society out. Whereas I think it's re it's really, hey, I have cash. I don't want to use my card. I don't trust the system, whatever that is. And you won't take my cash. Therefore, I'm going to boycott your business. You're not boycotting. You just can't pay for the good in the currency. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, they, so it's interesting. That's a U.S. thing because it's, it's just everywhere. Like, yeah. I, I, I would say... 40% of places you go to now in Europe just yeah. don't accept cash. Yeah. But we, which is weird because you you think of Europe being more well, yeah, I don't mm -hmm. know. Can we can we stick with um kind of digital physical for a second? I yeah. I in in my time off, I uh, reorganized my office. I, I filed some stuff from okay. my home office. Yeah. Um what papers do you keep? Like every just about everything I came across has a digital version on the internet. They're uh, utility bills, cell phone stuff, um, tax documents, yeah. etc. And I found myself filing a ton as I started. And I found myself throwing more away toward the end of my, <laughs> I don't know, half a day going through files that I needed to do something with. Um, and so on one hand, it's uh, we have these digital archives. And of course, the person I might be fighting with later down the road, my insurance company, my uh, utility provider, etc., also has access to those records and can make those records available or not available. And so on one hand, it's, uh, ooh, I need to keep this in case I end up in a dispute. Yeah. I've got record of this payment, etc. On the other hand, it's, uh, why one, why am I getting these papers? And two, why would I ever keep them if I can just log on and download these files and keep them digitally? And so I was just having this uh, internal conversation about what files are actually the ones to keep. And I started skewing towards keep tax documents secure and where they need to be. Everything else is probably a digital record. That's where I landed. I'm, I'm curious if you have a system. Well, I think it's different. So if you if you trust what you can get the document from, I mean, we live in the city of Richmond, which means that if you get a bill from the city of Richmond, it probably means that Lavar hand wrote it on papyrus. So let's just let's just it was on transfer yeah. carbon copy paper. It's, it's in handwritten, handwritten okay. by the mayor right. or his chief of staff. The um, but no, I mean, I'm less caught up on that stuff. That's all digital. I do though. I keep uh, I do print some photographs. Yeah. Huh. And I keep a stash of photographs. But I'm always preparing for Armageddon, right? <laughs> I bought seeds at the store yesterday for the kids to Scott's grow their own vegetables. Scott's a prepper. You heard it and here first. No, I'm not a prepper. I just keep an eye. Let's be clear. 
I'm not a prepper. Okay. But I have a gun to shoot the preppers in my neighborhood to take their shit. So oh, the- that's my take too. <laughs> I like my odds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. Like the um no, but yeah, no, so I bought seeds at the at the shop at the weekend. Because I'm going to make the kids grow food again this year, okay. which I don't think they enjoy at all. They think it's because I'm a hippie. It's yeah. really teaching them to survive, right? Okay. This, this, yeah. is, this, yeah. is, this is how a seed works, and this okay. is what you do in the, in the woods. If so you keep physical happens. seeds, not but digital I, but seeds. But I keep, um, yeah, so I keep... Um, uh, you keep photos. I, I keep some photos. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I do think, but I actually think the greatest risk to that is not that they're in digital form, is that there's just so many. That they yeah. become meaningless. Yeah, that, they yeah. completely meaningless. There's, okay. All right. All right. Well, that answers. That doesn't answer my question, but I I, I understand that take. That um, makes sense. <clears throat> All right. So this is where um, we have to finish on a on a peak. We do. Um, so you find some good content for us to finish on. Oh, I was going to say so. How it works. So get so get us there. Oh yeah. No. Uh, well. I was going to talk about pop-ins and unlock doors and culture. Yeah. Like how we, we talked about <clears throat> breaking bread and bringing people together. They're working from home and not some, I want to shift to community because we, we talked about excerpts for a second. Um, in the UK, did, did you all lock doors? And secondly, was there a cultural phenomenon of just popping into your, to your mate's house? Did you knock? So... We do lock doors. Okay. We lock everything because my people are, God, we're thieves. Just wait for that. We are. We All just right. steal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> the we do lock doors. Yeah. But no, when I was a kid, you'd just show up. Yeah. Yeah, you'd just show up. Yeah. I, it, so that, that was the same for me. And I, uh, as I think about mom being from like the hood in Philly and dad from the projects of St. Thomas, it felt cultural. Like it, while poor communities really tighten it. Like you didn't do anything stupid because somebody knew your grandma mm-hmm. and your grandma knew about the God, stupid you thing you did. so old right now. I know, yeah. right? You're, but your grandma knew about what you did before yeah. you got back to her house, right? Like that chain of telephone uh, it was real. And then, so the, I found more recently that there's this expectation of, well, why didn't you call before you came over? It's like, because we live two blocks away. I mean, yeah, it's just going to walk over and knock on your door and see if, can you come out and play? Um, and as an adult, I find that we've shifted now. It's a, well, life is happening and I got things going on and you can't just pop by. But I find some of you and I's best conversations, me and Scotty's best, is just because you were out in the yard and I, I yeah. drove down your you street, slot. the slight detour on the way home to see if you were out and about. And so I, I, I feel like we're losing as we're in this era of digital and inundated by the f- too many photos we took but never looked at and our kids in their corners of the social media world, we're not popping over to just say, hey. You're talking about the pop-in. Yeah. I just popped over. Yeah, just over to this. I missed that. Yeah. Maybe there is a, a signal that one needs to give to their friends, which is like, pop-ins are welcome. Might just come by. I, yeah. This this might actually be a, we we talk about underlying emerging trends a lot. This might be a thing as, it, as it we're is. looking at Generation Z delinking from real time mm-hmm. and phone calls versus text. Yeah, the, the asynchronous communication is on the rise, whereas the ability to pick up the phone and call is not. Well, no. So I think that's actually a millennial thing, not a Gen really? Z thing. So there's some counterindicators that Gen Z is going delayed gratification mm. less. Um, delinking from from the web and the internet, and maybe this will become more of a 
free form, no, we mm. will just drop by. Mm. We will leave our phones behind. Mm. Um, it is interesting watching my kids who do it. They are not hooked on their phones really? and they don't fully. They, they use their, uh, we tend not to count FaceTime as phone calls. Yeah. Um, but of course it is a phone, it's just yeah, a phone yeah, call it's, with video. Yeah, sure. Um, but so, yeah, maybe the pop-in, maybe the pop-in's due for a, do for a comeback. I, I would love to revive the pop-in and not for long. That's the other thing because we spool up to go hang out. The expectation is you got to be there for three hours. I would love nothing more than to have a beer for 20 minutes and then go home. Well, so you then have to replace the other aspect of, mm. of when we okay. were kids, which is if somebody's over at your place and you've got something else to do, you just go do that thing. I love that. And you leave that because I would be left. Like, yeah, you leave people at your house. Yeah. And so my, my, my newest app. ruder. We do. For that to work. And it's part of it. I hate being hosted, which is interesting. Like, I, I love just being at home at my friend's place. So, like, no, I don't need you to get me water. Tell me where the water is, right? Like, that idea of being family or good friend, whatever that relationship version is. I am um, my, my next business is not words with friends it's going to be errands with friends i want to just be able to put into the ether like hey i gotta go to target anybody anybody else need to go to target too like but i i just love doing the idea of doing uh having a community with other folks and being able to hang out and like moving out of the exurbs and back into urban centers and having proximity which the Mm. only way that proximity starts to make sense and breed collaboration is if we push that and force it and you've heard about 15 minute cities right you come across 15 minute cities oh this is really interesting so so it's the idea that you design cities that everything is within 15 minutes of a walk or bike ride Mm. so that you your layout of you don't have massive business zones then massive residential zones you're mixing it so that you you have that that yeah. you are living within distance of friends that you could pop into yeah. that you have a neighborhood cafe that you go to the local shops that you yeah. do those things that allows for it but we haven't designed we've designed around costco yeah we've designed around that mass purchase so it's basically making french or italian cities i mean in, it, it, in i've, I've got what countries. six uh six of my buddies all bought we all bought within like six or seven blocks of each yeah. other and what i'm finding now is that uh i found some pretzels at Publix that you just can't get anywhere in our neighborhood yeah. and so i bought a whole big thing and dropped them off in each person's mailbox uh at, at this point when one of us runs to lowe's we just send a text out it's like i'm going to lowe's does anybody need anything and so i'm i'm finding that we're being more intentional about designing this space and keypads i think are a big thing too i don't need a key to your house i do want to lock my door but you get a code um so my homies have codes to my house and my alarm so if you wanted to steal anything from my house you can take one of my buddies hostage they know how to get in that's yeah yeah. community two three four pound (laughs) it it wasn't that hard enter it yeah okay um i like that i like that just the idea of bringing people Back together, which I think tracks along professional and personal lines. So we'll finish here. Yeah. Back to that neighborhood thing. So staying with one of my closest friends in London and uh, taking the kids out. We, we took them to Brick Lane and they were all in, around the thrift oh. markets. Actually, back to Gen oh, Z. Oh, great. It's all thrifting, okay. reuse, all of this type stuff. And Android said, This hey, millennial is jealous. Hey, there is one bakery that I want you to pick up two dozen bagels from. Okay. And it's this Jewish bakery. And get it from the 
the the white st- shop front, not the yellow. And she even texted me a photograph of the yellow and said, "I will murder <laughs> you if you get it from the yellow." There will be a long line outside of the white one. Okay. Like just order that, because because like look, even in a city as massive as London, like yeah. local and high quality is is huge. So there's a massive line out of this one little shop. Okay. Of, um, which is interesting because it was on a mainly Muslim street. This Jewish, it was kind of magic. So, oh, that's so great. you're in all of that. Um, anyway, in my usual style, I said to the, the kids were going back before me. I said, "Hey, uh, we're just going to drop into Tesco and buy some like really crappy bagels and take those home to Angela and just say that I forgot." And uh, talk about passion around local. I oh, thought wow. she was going to murder me. Yeah, it was great. Did anyway, she? Did you do great. it? Yeah, of course I did. Okay. I mean, I did it, and then I ate horrible bagels for the rest of the week and. Everybody else ate the good ones. This is why you have individual co-working pods in pubs, so you can hide from the people that you're staying with uh, on your trip. There you go. This has been yet another episode of Envoy Recorded Radio. We'll see you next week.